I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's go. What's up, Mahalia? What's up? Girl, you're looking good over there. You're looking good. Loud and proud today. What's funny is actually today is UCSS first day of interviews. Okay. Which, you know, I'm not always used to that 645 start time and I was not prepared this morning. So I untwisted the front part of my head and left the back part still in twist because I just did not have time this morning, but I don't think any of our applicants noticed. So I just like that you tell everybody who listens <laughs> yeah. to our podcast that you gotta yeah. uh, Half twist out, half and half, a convertible, (laughs) convertible twist out. Yeah, I'm not ashamed about it now. This is part of the benefits of Zoom. Doesn't always work for us, but this morning it worked for me. Hey, say word. So you had a good weekend. Yeah, no, I had a very chill weekend. The weekend before, my my sister in law was in town, which was fantastic. I realized that I'm very blessed to have uh, sister in laws who are more like sisters to me. So we had a good time. This last weekend, I like just hung out around the house mm-hmm. and got into the thick of some ancestral research. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just because. But, you know, I love stories. So I was trying uh-huh. to understand a little bit about the story of my maternal lineage, which has mm-hmm. piqued my interest, especially after reading the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. Beautiful. Love yes. That. So one thing that I'll share is, okay. you know, I was able to see some records going back at least to my great 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 grandmother okay um but it seems like we had multiple generations who worked in the mississippi delta which is a region in northwest mississippi there was a lot of wooded area that was cultivated particularly for for cotton production that attracted a lot of folks post-civil war so my family continued to work as as tenant farmers Mm-hmm. on lands in, in the Mississippi Delta up until the point that we migrated up to Chicago. Mm. So where did you find all that? So part of it was on Ancestry.com. And I did just some other research online, particularly like around what that region looked like in the turn of the century, like the early 1900s. Wow. How did it leave you feeling afterwards? I think the feeling that I left with a mix of sadness, but also just kind of pride at resilience at least two of those women were, were widowed early. And so they were really holding it down, working as farmers, picking cotton, like af- after the war ended, trying to take care of these families. And mm-hmm. my imagination runs wild, just envisioning just what type of strength those women had to draw on to lead to the point that I am sitting here, like recording this podcast. I just, I can't even imagine I think that's the thing about when I was reading um, that book, um, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois, I was, it actually makes you import yourself into that space and time and imagine where you would fit into that. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there are days that I will be like washing my face and I'll look in the mirror and I'll sort of stare at my face and I'll think, okay, I have freckles and my hair has a, a, a curl pattern that suggests that at some point my African ancestry was, was mixed um, mm-hmm. with something, right? Yep. And so, you know, as I, as I, as I look at myself in the mirror, sometimes I'm like, wow, I like my reflection is basically evidence of, of what somebody endured. I could, it is, it just, yeah. it, because when I go back far enough in my own memory um, and, and what, what is available to me just through talking to my family, that is predominantly black people. And so I just think to myself, like, okay, so what if when I was 25, my same caramel complexioned, freckled, sort of kinky, not extremely kinky hair itself, um, slim build was, was somewhere on a slave plantation. Mm -hmm. What would my day-to-day life be? It would probably be, I would be getting violated. Mm -hmm. So yeah, our people managed to endure that, but still figure out how to raise kids, love them, pass on traditions, read by candlelight, like- yeah. It's crazy. hundred percent. Yeah. Girl. <laughs> I remember when I was um, living in Chicago with my grandparents, my great grandmother, Evangelist Shelley's mother, who we call yeah. Medea, oh, would yeah. always come by on the weekends. And uh, she kept a little garden, both in her home and our place where my grandparents live. She grew collard greens. Mm. And I just envisioning like how she developed that amazing green thumb of hers to be able to grow vegetables on the west side of Chicago. Yeah. Come on. Come on, traditions. Come on, bring them up. Tell me about it. Now, did I inherit any of of those talents? No, (laughs) not yet. You don't know how to make collard greens? I didn't. I don't know how to grow collard greens. Oh, okay. You know how to make collard greens though, right? I'm putting you on blast, right? I know. Like, what I if know, you then you're just going to call me out. Like, I know. What if you can't? Don't answer that question. I'm not going to answer the question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. There's only one right answer to that. And then I was going to go in next and be like, well, do you cut the stalks out? And we'll be- <laughs> No, because uh-uh, we sisters. I'm, I wouldn't even do you like that. Um... But uh, yeah, just I, I need to mention, um, you know, so we're recording this on November 15th. November 15th is the date that my sister passed away. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Ash, about how the people that we love the most um, after they transition, we, we hold a space for them in our heart, uh, a hole of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's so funny because I don't have a word for what I feel when I think about it. It's not sad. Even melancholy sounds too much like a heavy cloak of of sorrow. Mm -hmm. It is this mixture of deep, deep gratitude mixed with deep longing and and then just all the, the joy and the experiences. You can't really feel sad about losing somebody or have this emotion, which I don't still don't have a word for, unless it was a meaningful relationship while it was here, while it was alive yeah. and well, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just feel like I have to acknowledge November 15th primarily because it was a, a, a p- pivotal day for my family and shout out to my sister who probably is figuring out how from wherever she is, how to listen to this. And it's probably like, girl... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about Zoom. That's just really dug Zoom. I think she would have been really into Zoom. I love that. 
I have a sense that she is, she's very much present. In yes. This yes. Shout out to Auntie Deanna and shout out to everybody who is missing somebody or who is feeling that funny mixture of joy, pain, sunshine, and rain, rain. as it relates to yeah, somebody they love. One of my friends told me that she likes when Ashley tells the story. So good news, y'all. Spoiler alert. Ashley is telling the story. Low-key, my, my favorite episodes are the ones where Ashley tells the story. Don't tell Ashley. Please, please. All right. So, Sammy, you already know how I feel about it, which is I wake up more excited for the days that you're telling stories. And when I'm telling stories, we'll just put it put it that way. Okay. Holler at your girl. So we, what yeah. we got? What's right. the what? The what on this fine morning is friendship. Ooh. Yeah. So this came about actually last night as I was working on Mahalia. For all my naturals out there, y'all know that these wash days can be long. Mm -hmm. And and work out. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I don't need to work on my shoulders anymore because that (laughs) my hair does that for me. But... (laughs) You know, sometimes it's nice to talk to someone while you're doing your hair. And I had this thought yesterday because I was talking to one of my best friends. And by the time we hung up the phone, we've been talking for like three and a half hours. (laughs) Yeah. And in my mind, I was just like, who else in the world can I talk to for that long? And I don't even notice because I personally am not one who likes to talk on the phone. Were you on the phone or were you like on a a FaceTime or Zoom? Could you see each other? Just on the phone. Straight up, just chopping it up. Yep. That's dope. Okay. And it wasn't like we hadn't talked to each other in months. Like got to catch up on our entire life story. (laughs) So... Yeah, Kimberly, I don't know who, if anybody comes to mind that you think about that fits that category, but I realized like, dang, I, I didn't struck gold to have that type of person in my life at this point. So I gotta, I gotta bring it back to when I met this individual, um, which some folks probably know her name is Amanda. We actually became best friends during residency at UCSF. So shout out to our residency program for folks who are looking at us during interview season, you might meet your your best friend, soulmate out here. You know, what's interesting is we met on the interview trail okay. and it was not love at first sight. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that day vividly because it was towards the end of the year. I, th- I think it was a December interview. It was on the East Coast in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I had just spent the week before in New York doing interviews I would interview and then go out at night with my friends. Like I was still in my twenties and could do stuff like that without feeling terrible the next day. So then I hopped on a mega bus and went up to Boston. Throwback. Look, right. It was, it was economic. It was comfortable. I, I took the mega bus up to Boston and I was not prepared for the weather change. Like I was very naive. It was so cold and I was crashing with a friend and I didn't have the right jacket. So she just happened to have a down coat that was not aesthetically pleasing, but it did the job. (laughs) Your friend did. (laughs) Yeah. It was basically like a beige comforter in the form of a jacket. 
But I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to be out here freezing. Like, I don't even care. I was tired from having been in New York. I didn't put a ton of effort into my hair. It was the the night of the pre-interview dinner, which happened to be an ugly Christmas sweater party (laughs) at somebody's apartment. So like all these things, I was already kind of like, ah. So, you know, I, I found a Christmas sweater. I like Coles and they put on this giant. Oh, you are cracking me up. <laughs> Mega Buzz Coles. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. I can see the rack that you pulled it off of. Okay. Exactly. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm doing the minimum. So I show up at this pre-interview event. This is pre-COVID. So we actually got to gather before the interviews and have that whole awkward social interaction with all the other applicants and all the residents. And like many of my experiences on the interview trail, I was the only Black person there initially. Mm-hmm. Walked in the place. Luckily, I knew the person who was hosting the event, which shout out our mutual friend, um, Utibe, who was actually oh, really? the host. Yeah. Come on, Utibe. Yeah. Luckily, I knew Utibe from having done an away rotation at his residency program. Uh-huh. So that was the other reason I felt comfortable showing up. Not, not super put together. But enough to where it's just like, oh, this is my friend's place. Like, it's going to be all right. Okay. So, you know, I'm just there, chomping it up, mingling with the other folks. And then in walks Amanda, who okay. is completely put together. Her hair is laid to the gods, all dressed up, looks great. She was just snatched all together. Yeah. Just snatched. Yeah. Girl was <laughs> snatched. And my initial reaction was just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, I was a straight up hater because I was just like, dang, like two black people here, you come in, look and put together and then there's me. And so immediately it's just, you know, that kind of crabs in the barrel mentality. Like the category is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was mad. (laughs) Okay. I mean, and you own it. Like you were honest. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't rude, but I wasn't just like, hey, you know, let's be friends. I was just like, all right. That's cool. So we didn't talk much that night to the, at least to the extent that I remember, I think we ended up at the same table for kind of like the little morning introduction session during the actual interview. Mm -hmm. And then we were both at the reception for applicants who identified as, as underrepresented in medicine. And so again, just kind of like crossing paths by, by design, but not by individual intent. So that was our initial interaction and come to find out when we talked about this later, she didn't like me either. (laughs) (laughs) So what she described when she interacted with me on that interview day was that I seemed very confident. I knew some folks there and like, but you know, suffice to say, like, I, I, I guess I projected an air of confidence that she did not feel and that, you know, in the same way that I was threatened by her appearance. She seemed yeah. threatened by that aspect of how I presented. <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, this is how we met. Wow. So fast forward a couple months later mm-hmm. and I had done my interview at UCSF. UCSF was my last interview. And up until that point, like I felt pretty sure that I was going to go to Boston for residency until I came here 
I was just so blown away by the program here that I, I felt in my soul that this is where I needed to be, mm. but I was still conflicted. And, and thankfully they had an opportunity to come uh, to do what's called a second look, which is an invitation, especially for folks who, you know, are underrepresented in medicine, have a harder time, like establishing mentors and, and networking and connections to come back after the interview and really get to see the program and, and talk to folks in the context of not all the nerves that come with the interview day. Mm -hmm. And so I, I came back to San Francisco to do the second look for UCSF and really try to see if, am I actually going to come here? And I'm at the, the little dinner reception that they had the first night. And I look across the table and sitting at the end is Amanda. <laughs> Again, <laughs> Lord, <no. laughs> again. although this time I had my hair done, so I wasn't feeling as, as, as insecure as I did before, but I just found that interesting. I was like, oh, there she is again. <laughs> wow. You know, and it, and it was in a much more relaxed environment, which was helpful. So we kind of said hello. I kind of talked a little bit about how that initial interview went at the program we had met at before. When we had gotten to the last night of the, the Second Look program, they had this really laid back, cool, like meet and greet with uh, some of the residents at this bar that I love, which didn't survive the pandemic, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But we had they had rented out like the whole upstairs area and just had a lot of great food and everybody got two drink tickets to take <laughs> to the bar <laughs> for, yes. for the choice. And so for whatever reason, I found myself like sitting next to Amanda, you know, I'm not great at big group, like social interactions. I'm a little, mm -hmm. little shy as you, as you know. And yeah. so we just kind of ended up sitting and, and chatting with each other and we had the drink menu trying to be tactful about how we're going to use these, these two drink tickets. <laughs> and so I decided that I was going to get the beer with the highest alcohol content. Yeah. 20 something approach to stuff. Like, exactly. Right. When you, you got to get as much bang for your buck and you're I mean, still in your twenties and you can process alcohol like that. That's I mean, <laughs> exactly what it was. And I will never forget. I didn't even say any of this, but we both went to the bar and then ended up ordering the same drink for the same reason. <laughs> it's called the rapscallion. <laughs> I've never heard of that, but okay. <laughs> So we got our drinks and then we sat back down and we started talking and I tell you, it was, it felt exactly the same way that it felt last night. Like this is someone that I could talk to for hours. And it's just like, the vibe was just there. Even you know? though, even though like off cuff, you guys didn't like each other. Yeah. Wow. What do you think it was? You know, it's interesting reflecting particularly like where my mind was at that point in time, I've always been adept at fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. So even though like inwardly, I felt pretty insecure and unsure that I could interview well and be welcomed and seen as a competitive candidate, I could still project outward confidence. So really like what it was is not that I didn't like her as a person, like I didn't even know her. But I felt, I felt threatened. I felt that there can only be one. They're judging us side by side as like the two black women on this interview day. 
And that impeded my ability to form kinship, which in hindsight feels terrible. But I wonder if there's other folks on the, who are listening who might be able to identify with that in some way, because it, it, you know, particularly for women in competitive specialties or maybe in any occupation for that matter, yeah. it can sometimes feel that way when you're so, so focused on surviving and being accepted that you, you feel like you have to compete with folks to, to find that one spot at the table. And if serendipity hadn't put you all in the same place again, mm-hmm. there really wouldn't have been a time to work outside of that. Absolutely. That night after we'd been talking, at the time my brother was living in the Bay Area and I was planning to meet up with him and hang out with some of his friends and I just told her this off cuff, like, what are you doing after this? I was like, I'm just going to go meet up with my brother and like hang out with him. And her response was, can I come? Wow. Which I was kind of taken aback by because, and not because I didn't want her to come. I was just like, you know, my brother is actually, he's actually in the same fraternity as your husband. And at the time, my brother also, you know, knew how to have a good time. And I wasn't always, I wasn't exactly sure, like, you know, how how she would feel about that or how how hard she was ready to go. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But it was such a fun night. You know, we we went out, I mean, didn't do anything crazy, but we stayed out late enough to where I missed my flight the next morning. (laughs) I remember feeling kind of sheepish in the sense. It was like, okay, like I feel kind of embarrassed that I couldn't even get it together to like make this flight. And I ended up texting her in the afternoon, like, hey, it was nice to meet you. Hope you had a good time with my folks last night. And she was like, yeah, but I did miss my flight this morning. Both of y'all missed your flight. Both of us did. Wow. So, yeah. I love that. You know, you know what this makes me think about is, especially, you know, just reflecting on what you said about how when people are occupying the same space sometimes. Mm-hmm how easy it is to feel threatened in that space, right? There's another woman there, you know, and you're in a predominantly male area, or um, if you're the only historically excluded minority, because I, you know, when people say person of color, mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I need you to be specific. Because, <laughs> no, I don't usually refer to myself as a person of color. I usually refer to myself by my identity. Yeah. Um, and I say that because there, that tends to be more of an intense feeling when you enter a space with somebody from a historically excluded group. So, mm-hmm. um, but what it makes me think of is this, I was riding in the car with my kids years ago. Um, my older son was about six or five. My younger son was probably like three or four. And Isaiah, my older son was telling me about his day. He was just like, oh, I was the line leader. I got a green tab because I was good. I was this, I was that. I was a good listener today. I got a star. I got a star star pupil thing today. Every time he said something that he did, Zachary would say, but I did this. I did this. Everything he said, you know, he always had like, a. well, I did this. Well, my teacher said this. Well, I I, I this from his little car seat. So Mm -hmm. we're riding along and all of a sudden, um, Zachary does it again. He's like, I, I, and I, Isaiah turns his whole body to face his brother, car seat to car seat. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, yay, me does not mean boo you. Dang. <laughs> I almost had to pull over <laughs> and get out the car and write a check and give it to 
church because <laughs> that was a word. I'm like, man, that boy just preached an entire sermon. Wow. Gay yeah. me does not mean boo you. Mm. So if that other applicant steps into the space and she is snatched, she is smart. She is AOA. She is gold humanism. She is top of her class. Her suit looks a little bit more tailored than yours. Her twist out, she twisted the front and the back out. <laughs> <laughs> that that is no shade to you. Yay Absolutely. Yay, yeah. yay doesn't mean boo you, and yay you doesn't mean boo me. No, mm -hmm. it's all good. Yeah, it's enough space for both of us to shine. And when we ended up matching in residency together, I just I can't imagine having gone through that experience without her, because like with everything that I did, she was right there hyping me up and vice versa. And now as a woman, that type of friendship that has continued and persisted through all of our life challenges and all the things that in inevitably come with, with growing up, it's just, and to well, think that I almost missed out on that is <laughs> well, a tough pill to swallow. As the great puff daddy once said. <laughs> Well, the sun don't shine forever, but as long as we're here, then we we'll might shine, well shine together. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful for the opportunity to shine together with you mm. every single week. Likewise. I was grateful um, that, that on a day that I'm centering and reflecting a lot on sisterhood mm -hmm. and connectedness that I get to do something that is really rooted in that. I think my sister would be pleased Absolutely. with our relationship. Yeah. Yes. And she'd be pleased that you stopped hating on Amanda long enough to be her friend. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go do some residency interviews because ours don't start at 645 and low key, there's probably somebody sitting in the Zoom box like, where is this lady? <laughs> <laughs> well, extend my apologies to, to that applicant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this week, there's no tears, just joy. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, this has been good. Yeah, very good. All right, sis, love you. Love you more. Bye-bye. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.